Bienvenidos a Radio Menea. I'm Miriam Soyla Perez. And I'm Vero Valletti Flores. And we usually bring you a mix of mainstream and alternative Latinx jams based on a theme. But today we're doing a first for us. We're dedicating our entire program to one artist. The singer, songwriter, legend, and queer icon, Juan Gabriel, who recently left our earthly existence to join the ancestors on Sunday, August 28th. So sad. So sad and so unexpected. Oh, such a bummer. 2016. We feel like we've lost a lot of amazing people. Um, We have. It's been rough. I couldn't believe it. He's so young. He's 66 years old and he was like in the middle of a tour. It was like totally unexpected. He had a massive heart attack. It's not clear why or if there's like some reason behind it, but um, just super... Super sad. So yeah, we immediately decided that we should make our next episode dedicated to Juan Gabriel. I mean, he's just absolutely legendary in Latin America. And it's interesting to see so many Latinos in total mourning for somebody who's such a huge star and the rest of the world, like Juan Gahu. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Very it's weird. Very strong race and culture divide in terms of who's even noticing or knows who he is. Better, do you want to tell us about this first song that we... We're starting with so the song that you're hearing right now is his first hit actually it's called no tengo dinero and it's from el alma joven his first album released in 1971 and i have a, a like a childhood connection to this song my mom would sing it and it's a latin american classic it's about not having money or anything material to give to a lover, but, you know, just having a lot of love. And if that's enough, then they can make this work out. And it has, I think for him, a lot of personal resonance because of his upbringing, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think all of his songs were necessarily autobiographical. I mean, he has like a crazy, amazing over of, of songs over his career, but this one particularly, I mean, and one of the things that's created... His part of, I think, his major appeal across Latin America, and especially especially in Mexico, is that he was really poor. Um, as a kid, he was the tenth kid of two farmers. Um, his father died pretty young um, when Juan Gao was pretty young, and um, he ended up actually in an orphanage um, at the age of four because his mother couldn't take care of him. So he really, literally, grew up with nothing. And I think that kind of rags to riches part of his. Um, life has been a major appeal to a lot of, of, of his fans, for sure. Yeah, I think that uh, to see somebody have so much success to become the kind of legendary artist that he did and to, to start from being basically an orphan and homeless yeah. and uh, spending time in prison for survival crimes yeah. to become this is, you know, is really, uh, really 
feels inspirational for yeah, folks. Yeah, I did a bunch of reading about his like life in preparation for this. And yeah, there's a story about him being homeless for a little while when he was living in Mexico City as a teenager, trying to make it break into the music industry. And then, yeah, ending up in jail for like a year and a half over supposedly stealing a guitar. And then like the warden actually helping him um, and like get connections to the music industry. So it's, he's got an incredible story. I hope somebody like writes a biography of him or something, but, um, but yeah, he, his humble beginnings are really a big part of, of his appeal. And, and I think he also had like a humility to him, even though he was like this very extravagant, like flamboyant, like, you know, like his outfits and like, there was a lot of extravagance sort of to his presentation, but I feel like he was a very humble person. And, and like when you read, you read about people who interviewed him and stuff, they often talk about his humility that he was, you know, always very kind and very warm and, and never kind of put on the airs that I think a lot of, you know, people in the industry, once they're really big can put on. Yeah, definitely. For people who don't know, you know, a lot of people refer to him as Huanga. It's just his nickname. Yeah. Well, the next song um, that we have for you is from 1974, and it's called La Muerte del Palomo. Nunca volverás, Paloma. Triste está el palomar. Solito quedó el palomo. Ahogándose entre sollozos. Pues ya no puedes So we're going chronologically with his hits right now. So we started with his first big hit, and this song is from 1974. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about it, Ben? Yeah. So I, I, when I read about the songs, he actually wrote it when he was 13, so like way before he had a music career, which was like later in his, you know, late teens, early 20s. Um, but he was, you know, clearly had musical talent from an early age. And that this song is actually about his father, who died when he was young. And I, I read like conflicting things about, I read something that said that his father was actually in a mental institution. Um, and so I'm not sure if he was, and then he died, but you know, he was, he definitely died at an early, at, in Huanga's like, very early life. So this song is about his father, who I think clearly had an impact on him, even though he was not a part of his life for very long. And his name, Juan Gabriel, is actually like a taken sort of stage name. And the Gabriel is after his father. Mm-hmm. That was his father's name. So, you know, I don't, I don't know that this song was like a huge hit the way that No Tengo Dinero was, but I thought it was a, a sweet one to bring because of that. It sort of talks about um, his father and the importance that his father played in his life. Yeah, and I think that what is interesting to note here is that, so he wrote the song when he was 13, and um, Juan Gabriel was a really very prolific songwriter. He wrote like 1,800 songs, not just for himself, but also for other people, uh, you know, other people all over Mexico and Latin America saying songs that were written by him because he was just so very prolific. Yeah. Yeah, and I read some interview with him where he talks about how, like, for him, music is not or is not work. Like, it's actually just joy, like songwriting and writing and writing music, and so that that probably lends to his like prolificness, right? Is that it was actually just something that he loved to do, even all throughout his career, and clearly had a incredible talent for these very melodic and catchy and sweet and romantic um, ballads and songs that he's so known for. And obviously he has the voice of an angel. Mm. I mean, this man had some pipes mm. on him. Yeah. Oh, and you know, he, he his passing, like he was kind of at the height of his career. You know, it wasn't one of those things like 
you know, he's in his 80s or, you know, he hadn't recorded an album in a long time. Like, he was literally in the middle of a tour um, and had had some, like, really incredible albums come out in the last two years that have been at the top of the charts. So that's also just, like, why it's such a bummer is because he was really just kind of getting going even after these decades of his success. He really feels like he had a lot left to offer. Yeah, he was working to the end. And, I mean, if it was his joy, I guess that's really nice. Yeah. The next song that uh, we want to bring you is called La Frontera, and it's from 1980. song because it's about la frontera, about the border. Um, it's about how much he loves it there, about how people are humble and nice and fun in la frontera. And a, an interesting thing to note is that he got his start singing, his, singing in bars in Juarez. So uh, I think that place maybe holds um, a special place in his heart. But I think especially for me, um, in the current day, the way that people talk about the border, they talk about it either as a place that's impoverished and lacking in resources, or as a place that's violent and horrible. And it's really nice to hear a song about somebody that loves La Frontera and loves its people and thinks that there's nowhere else quite like it. So I really appreciate that about this song. I mean, even though he was an immigrant, like he was living in the U.S. Um, for most of his adult life, like he kind of maintained this fidelity to like Mexican culture um, that I think is really special. And so that, that I think this was kind of reflected in his love for this particular part of the, of the world and like the sort of Mexican, like the place where Mexico and U.S. meets, but also like the divide between Mexico and the U.S. Um, culturally and, and physically even now with the way that the border wall has been developed. So, um, you know, he's he's refused to cross over in a lot of ways that artists of his prolific and, like, fame haven't refused. And I think that's also really special about him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Juanga was so special. So, so, so yeah. special. And I think one of the things that was really special about him, particularly for me and for a lot of queer folks... And something that I feel like a lot of pieces mourning Huanga out there aren't really quite like directly talking about is yeah. um, his queerness, right? Right, right. It's yeah. such an important part of his legacy, at least for me. Do you remember like when you first realized he was not straight? I don't know. I do have like a vague memory of Juan Gabriel being on Saldo Sensacional, which is like mm. Venezuela's like variety show that we had, and um, he and seeing him performing there, and you know, being like, "Oh, this guy is like sort of different," and my mom like sort of being matter of fact about it, being mm. like, "Yeah, Juan Gabriel is gay." obviously, yeah. not like in a negative or a positive way. It was just 
there and accepted, right? And yeah, that's really part of his legacy to me. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, his, it was more about his gender than his sexuality because he kind of refused to talk about or like be open in the, that particular way. You know, we'll get into the the ways in which he handled it, but that the, what you could see on you know Saul Gigante or wherever was just his gender presentation, which was like fabulous and like a feminine in a particular way and just like I mean he's called El Divo like you know yes. it's very much a, a, El a diva de right like, El Divo de Juarez right like he's just a diva and he has this presence and this this way of of talking this way of holding himself that's just fabulous in a way that is just not doesn't fit into like straight masculinity in any way and, and obviously gender and sexuality are so involved but like you know we never really um saw him you know with other men in that way but like he was just himself in his work and his life and his on and on stage and I think really opened up a lot of possibility for um to have this person be so respected by everyone um even people who would hold a lot of like homophobic ideals in a culture that in many ways is very homophobic to have him be respected and kind of let him he was let be who he was right he just did his thing he was himself um and that was accepted even if it was like not talked about in the most direct way possible. Yes. I mean, he stayed pushing the bounds of yes. what masculinity was, you know, oh he was God. femi and he was fabulous and he yeah. just like worked those sequins and silks to the yeah. gods. Like he was just amazing. And, yeah. and, you know, I think that that's really a huge, huge part of his performance. And yeah. I think since so many of his songs also were about the pain of love for me it's right. hard to imagine that you know his being a queer person in a really homophobic society isn't part of that right I feel like it yeah. gave him a lot to work with in that arena and I don't think people realize that that so much right. of like what Huanga brings to these songs like the feeling and like sort of like the pain he's able to convey in his voice and as a performer in his songs in his songs so many of which were about heartbreak I feel that's like directly connected to like a sort of personal pain I just I just can't right. imagine it's not Right, right, and that's the, the tragedy of his of his death too. Is that like we may never know, right? Like that if he had lived another twenty years, maybe he would have gotten to a place where he was comfortable, kind of doing the tell all book or whatever, right? About like right. how it actually felt to be to be in this sort of like middle ground of like clearly very out in that nobody's really nobody thinks he's straight, but not able to, to or willing or whatever to talk about his personal life in the particular in that particular sort of like, you know, like Ricky Martin can post a selfie of him and his boyfriend on the red carpet and just be like, yes, you know, or whatever. I can't remember what he said in selfie. Right, but like, right. You know, um, so it's like, I don't know what Huanga's personal life was like. I don't know what, if he had lovers and if he had wanted that or, you know, his, yeah. he really held this, he held this middle ground that I think came from um, the generation that, I mean, he's crossed like three decades of, uh, of music and, you know, the, the climate toward, um, queerness has definitely shifted a lot in recent years, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's one of the interesting pieces here is that he's never like, it was sort of more of like a don't ask, don't tell situation. Like things are pretty obvious, so you don't need to ask yeah. me this question. So I think maybe that is one of the tensions towards folks saying, yes, he was queer or no, he wasn't 
gay or whatever it is but i, I don't i think he, that for queer yeah. folks for queer people in mexico and in latin america who saw him on our television screens yeah well you know for us he was one of us you know right that much right. was it felt it felt very clear right yeah and it's like he never named it but he also never negated it right know? well and if you're a regular listener to our show, you've heard us mention this interview that we're about to play you a clip of before, um, maybe in our Queers episode, I think, but in which yeah. he, without so many words, came out, right? So this clip that we're about to play for you, um, take a listen. Un mexicano que, que haciendo un análisis de de sus presentaciones en el público, en estos conciertos masivos que tanto llenan, tanto llaman la atención, que además tiene récords implantados en todos lados por, por audiencia. Dice, dice este historiador mexicano, comentando sobre su sexualidad, dice que rompió las barreras sexuales en el escenario porque explora el lado femenino. ¿Qué opinión le merece este comentario? El arte femenino, eso es lo que puedo yo exteriorizar, ¿no? ¿El arte es femenino? ¿No hay un arte masculino? ¿O, o no es de los dos? <risa> pues puede ser, pues yo sé, yo siempre he visto que el arte es femenino. Y mire, si usted es guapo y está joven y está divino, pues siempre van a decir eso, ¿no? Que usted es gay. Sí. Eso. Juan Gabriel, Juan Gabriel, Juan Gabriel. <risa> Dicen que es gay. Juan Gabriel es gay. <risa> ¿A usted le interesa mucho? Yo pregunto. Pues yo le respondo con otra pregunta. Dígame. Dicen que lo que se ve no se pregunta, mijo. So, this is a clip from Primer Impacto, which, by the way, is hilarious. My family called it Primer Infarto because it's like such a like amarillista, sort of like sensationalist show. This show, like, just to set the context. It's a right. mix of like news and like TMZ where you might hear yeah. like anything from like, you know, what like the latest shit that like the orange chupacabra who shall not be named on this program has said about immigrants to the appearance <laughs> of La Virgen on a piece right. of toast. Right. So right. like this is the show that we're talking about. This is where Juan Gabriel yeah. is being yeah. interviewed. So first, so this guy, Fernando, the reporter, asks Juanga, like, are you gay? And he first, like, he, like, for, he's talking about, like, his sexuality. And Juan Gabriel reacts with this, like, sigh and this, like, wild side eye. So, like, if we're going to put this up on the website, um, on the post you for this show. It. And you should watch the entire yeah. thing. I highly recommend yeah. it. But then, first of all, he's like, you know, is Juan Gabriel gay? And he's like, what, are you super interested? Like, being, like, so coy <laughs> and flirty. And, like, throughout yeah. this whole interaction, like, so kind, right? Like, just yeah. being grilled about his sexuality and still, like, yeah. maintaining a lot of kindness. And he sort of launches in later where he says, listen, Lo que se ve no se pregunta, mijo, right? Like, don't ask what you're not prepared to hear the answer for. Like, you can see what you can see. Things are pretty obvious. Why are you asking me this question? And then sort of 
proceeds to launch into this diatribe about how people aren't stupid, he's no saint, and nobody else is either, and there's only one life, and you've got to live it, and you have to let others live their lives the way that they are, and that he's not trying to be a liar, and he's just, like, I think that's, like, a basically, like, without saying, without so many words coming out, right? But, like, don't yeah. ask me a fucking question that you're not prepared to hear the answer for, right. is what I also, see that the, as. right. And also literally like what you can see you don't need to ask about. <laughs> like clearly I'm gay, right? Locus of innocence. Yeah, it's like, I mean like yeah, it's like it's obvious. Like why do we why do why do you need to name what we all know, you know, and what you can see? And and I think that's, you know, an interesting part of his his particular position is that in some ways I think being so clearly queer, like you just like, you know, you would say his closet was made of glass, like his sexuality was so clear because of his gender nonconformity that in some ways that gave him some freedom to just be who he was and not have Mm -hmm. to lie or like, you know, like Ricky Martin, for example, like he's very masculine and very gender conforming and kind of passive in many ways. Right. As straight. And so, you know, he had all these beards and like people are going to constantly be asking you if you're that kind of artist, you know, do you have a wife? Do you have a girlfriend? Who are you dating? Like no one is going to ask Kwanga those questions because he's so clearly not straight, you know? And so it's an interesting like, catch 22 of like the level of visibility he had kind of gave him some freedom to just be who he was and like Mm -hmm. ignore or like or kind of pass off or refuse to engage on the terms that these these media people wanted to engage with which I think is um is an interesting kind of place that he was in absolutely yeah it's so that's I think that's a really smart observation because if he had been sort of like trade like Ricky Martin then yeah. he would have gotten all the questions that Ricky Martin did. Like he maybe would have gotten yeah. a beard like Ricky Martin did, you right. know, right. but he right. never had to because right. people knew what they needed to know. Yeah. He actually did have kids. He has four kids um, with someone that he described as the best friend of his life, um, but that his publicist, <laughs> yeah, but his publicist actually even admitted that they were conceived by artificial insemination. So, you know, he wasn't trying to fool anyone, right? Like he wasn't trying to pretend that he was straight or that he had heterosexual relationships. Um, but yeah, he, I don't know, it's a little bit of like a live and let live kind of situation that, that I think there's nuance there that, that often comes up in even like Latino families around queerness mm-hmm. that people outside of the Latino community don't understand that, you know, it's like, that's been true in my family and instances for me and for other family members that there's like, everybody knows that I'm gay, but we're not going to talk about it. And so before I come out, you're going to constantly ask me, you know, how many boyfriends do you have? But then after I come out, you're just not going to ask anything. Right. You know, but you're drop the subject. Right. But you're not going to reject me. You're not going to like tell me I can't come around. You're not going to kick me out of the house, you know? So I think there is this like acceptance that I think other people sometimes label as like homophobia that isn't exactly that, right? Like that it's, it's a, it's a, just a different level of, um, yeah. It's like tolerance, right? (laughs) They're like like tolerating you. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not an ideal sitch, but you know. Yeah. It's complicated, but I think, you know, there's some some statistic about how Latino families are actually much less likely to, to kick their kids out for being gay than white families are, you know? And so it's like, what does acceptance look like? And, and, um, you know, over time, like even the family members that in my family, the family members that wouldn't ask me about my girlfriend, um, have met, you know, met past partners at weddings and stuff and been totally fine, you know? So 
Yeah. I don't know. Absolutely. Like, in some ways, I, I appreciate that um, there's a middle ground that I think lets people kind of get used to things on their own time yeah. instead of a sort of like you have to join PFLAG or you're not on my right. side or something, Correct. you know? Yeah, totally. I really appreciate that. Yeah. What's the next song we want to bring of his? Oh, my God. The next song is just probably my favorite, Huanga. This is a Huanga classic, maybe his most iconic song. This is Querida. Querida, cada momento de mi vida, yo pienso en ti más cada día. Mira mi soledad, mira mi soledad, que no me sienta nada bien. Oh, ven ya, querida. So if you haven't heard a lot of Huanga, this is probably the one song that you have heard, right? Even yeah. if you like didn't grow up in Mexico or didn't grow up with his music, yeah. uh, this yeah. is like the main big Juan Gabriel song. It's yeah. from 1984. It's from an album called Recuerdos Volume 2, which became like the best-selling album of all time in Mexico. It sold over like 8 million copies. This song is just a, such a classic, and I love it. It's the song that I've, in the last few days, I've just been belting out, like playing on repeat over and over, like thinking about Juan Gabriel becoming one of our ancestors now. Yeah, it's a beautiful song. Or you can't really overstate his the level of fame and popularity and like just like how big of a deal he was. I don't even know who you could compare him to in the US. Like who do you Yeah, think like, I was just trying Prince to think about like know. yeah, like how to compare I've heard people like comparing him to like a mix of like Prince and like Cole Porter and like Elton John, like trying to make people who are not familiar with Juan Gabriel and his work understand who he was to Latinos. And yeah. It just comes up short, right? You can't. He Juan Gabriel was Juan Gabriel. There was nobody else that was quite like yeah. him. And like even in Latin America, I mean, when he died, like every single Latin artist that I follow on Instagram posted about him. Like no matter what country they're from or what genre they're from, like he just had this cross like Latin American appeal that I don't know that there's another artist that has that similar level of infamy and importance to people across musical genre and country in Latin America. I don't know if there's, you think there's anybody else like him. Yeah, I mean, if you like scroll through Instagram in like the hours after his death was announced, it was like, you know, everybody, everybody from like the most like macho reggaetoneros to like the most cheesy pop singers were mourning yeah. his death. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. 
that day I kind of wished that like I'd gone to a bar that was playing this song and mm-hmm. I could just like sadly sing it at the top of my lungs while I drunk. Know. I definitely got an invitation yesterday to go to like Huanga karaoke. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Which I didn't. I know, which I didn't do, but I'm sure would have been amazing. It's just like Latino bar in DC that has like Latino karaoke every week. And I'm sure it would have been like the most epic. Just yeah, like that's Wanda epic, night. but also like a pretty high bar. Like he oh, had yeah. an amazing oh, yeah. oh, voice. Yeah. Like you're going to oh, fuck no, that no, up. No. <laughs> yeah, but no, this karaoke is like, I went and I was like too embarrassed to do a song, even though I love karaoke because the people who were singing were like, amazing singers and like knew all the lyrics and all of the melodies and all of I mean just like like these guys are just like practicing in their basement all week to go yeah like do karaoke, they're just so. like out there flexing and you're yeah. just like okay no, uh-huh. I'm here to make a fool it's of like, myself y'all I know it's like we're on like an episode of La Voz or something like these people were amazing so I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't have tried to to sing oh my god um, yeah see this so, is why I don't do karaoke I can't yeah <laughs> Well, this is why I do pri- this is why I do private room karaoke. Because <laughs> then know. you just go with your friends, and then it doesn't matter. <laughs> I know that's it's yeah. you're a better person than I am. I just don't mm. like doing things okay. I'm not good at, and it's like you're a personal at, flaw, yeah. and I'm working on it. But <laughs> singing okay. is not a thing okay. that I'm good at. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. So the next song that we have for you is from 1999, and it's called Werfano Soy. Por el mundo Solo Como un vagabundo Huérfano soy Ya no tengo a nadie Han muerto mis padres Solo quedé Nací Entre amargura y llanto so this is another one of the songs that I think is really autobiographical because he was an orphan, right? His mom yeah. basically left him at an orphanage because she couldn't take care of him. And his I don't know if his other siblings were also left there um, after his father died. You know, they were farmers, like already living a very subsistence life. Um, and so he was there, I think, for like eight years from what I can tell. Um, wow. and had a, And it really impacted him. He actually started an orphanage in... I think it's Mexico City, but it could be Juarez. I'm not sure, actually. He started an orphanage at some point in his adult life with some of his fortunes. I mean, he's really he was a really wealthy man from his all his success. So this song, you know, has autobiographical significance, but also, like, thinking about his musical styles, like, this album was kind of a departure. Um, it was his first album that was was doing kind of a version of Banda, which is a musical Mexican musical tradition. And, you know, this is one of the things I think is amazing about him. He really stayed faithful to Mexican musical traditions despite yeah. his epic amount of fame. Like, he really refused to do crossovers into English. He refused to do crossovers into kind of non-Mexican musical traditions. And so this is just one example of him kind of taking taking that step into Banda and, and doing his own rendition and his own version of it, this whole album that came yeah. out in 99. Yeah. He really saw, awesome. it seems, like he really saw American music as just hegemonic, right? Just infiltrating yeah. everything. And for that reason, first, like, didn't want to be a part of that, but also was very keen on guarding Mexican musical traditions and to be a voice for that. And he did that so well. Yeah. 
I was reading this profile of him that, that the LA Times ran in 99, so like around the time this album was released. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, it was an interesting like view into his life, particularly I was struck by, and this was commented on in a few things I read about him, that when he would like go out to a restaurant, for example, um, the like white wait staff and like hostesses wouldn't have any idea who he was but then the like latino bussers and like people in the kitchen would like freak out because like this is like the most important person like walking in the door and so again you just kind of like constantly see that like race and culture divide that he was such a big deal but like widely unknown and like in Mm -hmm. that la times thing they talk about him getting like mistreated at a at a rest at a furniture store in LA because the salesperson like didn't know who he was and thought he was just like a Mexican guy. I mean, he's like pretty dark skin, right? He's not going to be, he's not going to pass and getting really mistreated and kind of like walking out basically, even though he could have bought the whole store, you know, because he had so much wealth. So that, that, that dichotomy, he, he really walked about being unknown widely in the U S um, outside of like Latino, um, communities. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. I mean, I think that even like, for like that happened to Oprah, right? Like it doesn't matter mm. how rich you are, right? Like Oprah could like buy an entire store of fancy purses, but when she was in Paris trying to buy a fancy purse for her girl Tina who was getting married, wow. they were like, "Oh, you can't afford that one." Right. I guess it's yeah, this racism is just transcends. what happens to yeah. like people of color, right? They just like can't yeah. believe you could be successful. Right. 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 And 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 yeah, and he's like really not crossed over, you know, cause yeah. like Ricky Martin, I mean, obviously Ricky Martin's also like much lighter skin than Juan Gabriel, but like he, you know, he's not going to have the same experience necessarily. So right. it's also the choices that he's made, but, uh, but it's pretty incredible. I mean, the LA times calls him the highest paid Spanish language singer on earth, you know, to be at that like height of popularity, but then also be, yeah, be so unknown in certain circles, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and they don't, the people describe his humility like that, you know, he's sitting at this restaurant being kind of like given, thrown shade by the staff who don't know who he is. And then the other folks who come up and like ask for autographs and stuff and how sweet he yeah. was and always like very kind, you know, so and very willing to, to give people time in his family. Yeah. So I that humility really comes through. So what's the last song we're going to end with, Vero? The last song we're going to end with is a cover that Juan Gabriel did this year. It's a cover of Creedence Clearwater Revival's Have You Ever Seen the Rain? And it's called Gracias al Sol. Manga still had it, man. He yeah. really did. Yeah. It's a thing. He wasn't done. He, he was really done. wasn't done. Oh, like what would have what would have come from him? I don't know. It's so sad. We almost brought this song to our covers episode and then we ended up 
choosing something different. So I'm glad that we had an opportunity to to share it with you all because it's pretty amazing. It's from an album that's all like Latino, like Latin musicians covering Credence Clearwater songs called Quiero Credence. Yeah, and it just came out this year. And I think what's interesting is that Juanga rarely covered other artists just because he mm-hmm. was such a prolific songwriter <laughs> and he wrote so many songs he really didn't need to cover anybody. Um, yep. But he did this song and it, it really went viral, you know, out of all the songs and all the artists, I'm sure there are some big names on that uh, on that list. This song really went viral. People went crazy for it. Um, yeah, and the video too, yeah. Yeah, and the video, the video is amazing. He's wearing these like rainbow serape pants and like an embroidered vest. It's just so lovely. He's and he's playing the guitar. He's so lovely, and he's still, you know, he's still, he still had it. Oh, Juan Gabriel, man! Thank you for everything you've offered to us. Oof. I know. I know. Mm. You know. The thing that I'm feeling right now, though, is just thankful for him, thankful for his performances, thankful for his decision to just always be so true to himself um, for all of us and for all of like the countless conversations like in salas and during Mm -hmm. comidas across Latin America that he surely launched after every (laughs) single one of his incredibly flamboyant and epic performances. I think he, you know he's probably had a big role in helping an entire like culture of people get a little bit more open to what the possibilities of gender and sexuality are, you know? Yeah. Thank you, Juanga. Thank you. It's been real. I'm glad that we could spend some time with your music and your beautiful life. Well, thank you all so, so much for listening. Yes. This has been another episode of Radio Menea. And, uh, next, next time we'll be back with our more usual, uh, setup, but, we really just had to take our time to honor this legend that is Juan Gabriel. As always, you can find links to every single song and details from this episode at RadioMenea.com. And you can find us at Radio Menea on Twitter, on Instagram, and Facebook. And if you haven't seen it yet, you should check out um, a really lovely profile interview with us ran on Remezcla about two weeks ago. Thank you so much to Isabella Herrera and her team for um, writing up a really beautiful uh, article that I feel like really captures the essence of what we're trying to do here. And also some really fun photos, including a GIF. They Our made own GIF. Into I a GIF. am yes. so into it. <laughs> Shout so out to Alejandra for that magic. Yes, yes. So you can check it out um, on radmene.com. There's a link um, in our about on our about page, but also you can just check it out directly on Remezcla. Um, and thank you so much to the love actually because of that just a two hour on horn for a minute I think because of all of the traffic from that article we were the number eight iTunes music podcast a couple Ooh. weekends ago yeah shout out all so, of you thank you for the love yeah thanks for the love and for all the listens and the reviews and we are just super having a ball doing this so thanks for enjoying it with us have a lovely rest of your day ciao